Thank you, Jasmine. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate new life. And we thank you that your word is, was given to us so that we might follow you. And so Lord, my prayer for us today is that as we hear your word, that we might lean in to intentionally follow you with all of our lives. Would you take just a moment to ask the Lord to speak to you from his word today? Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you lead and you guide. May we hear your voice. May we have eyes to see what you want us to see today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today, in, in many ways, kind of in the life of our church is this shift sort of from summer into the fall and, and kind of whether or not you have kids in school or you yourself are a student. Uh, there's something about this kind of time uh, of the year where we kind of think about new things. Uh, we think about how will we um, you know, operate kind of in this next year. It's almost like another new year. It's, at least for me, it's a, even a more profound than kind of the, the new year time. Um, and, and this week, I dropped our youngest off in junior high, which was kind of like, how is that? Uh, and it's so different when you drop off your kids in elementary school. You get to go in, you go to, the ta- you know, to their seat and their table, and you talk to the teacher. You're like, um, he's left-handed. Can we move this around a little bit? You know? And they're like, sure, of course. And you like hug the teacher on the way out. Junior high, you pull up in the car and you go, good luck, kid. Like, that's it. Like, you're, t- you're going to the wolves. You know, and I hope you make it back at the end. Uh, and so this time of year, though, there's something about it. There's like this renewal. There's this opportunity to say, what, what is next? And, and how will I focus maybe the values, maybe the, maybe the uh, priorities, the things that I care about, um, how will I live those out? And we all know that if we're going to live those things out, then we, we have to make time to do it. If we say, okay, I, I'm going to start, you know, exercising. Well, then you have to make the time to do it. If you say, oh, I'm going to read more. And you go, okay, well, I, I, I have to put the phone down. Or if I'm going to spend more time at home and not work, I have to make some arrangements to make that happen. But for some reason, I think there's this tendency in our spiritual life to kind of just kick it into autopilot. To kind of go, you know, I'm sure it'll work out. I'm sure I'll follow Jesus. I'm sure I'll give my life to him and, and what that looks like and, and not take this intentionality in what it means to follow Jesus. And so this question for us that I want us to consider in this time of year, it's a question that we typically ask around this time of year. How is God leading you to intentionally invest in following Jesus, in discipleship? Um, hopefully everyone of you got this. I'd love for you to grab it. Uh, I'm gonna just look at it for a minute. And uh, this is kind of the opportunities that together as a church, we want to pursue following Jesus. Uh, And so there's more than this, right? Of course, as as a follower of Jesus. But I want to highlight this because I want to have this as sort of your backdrop as we talk about the passage that we're going to look at here today. And so I want to just highlight a couple of things uh, sort of as the backdrop. We, you know, we have our community groups. The purpose of everything on this page is discipleship. 
is to follow Jesus together. Uh, we have community groups that are, that are open, and we have different ones that we encourage you to, to check out. You can check that out online. We have a couple of new groups. Um, we have a, um, a parents of teens support group, I mean community group, um, <laughs> that's starting, and uh, would love to have, uh, if you're a parent of a teenager, to jump in that. Uh, and we also have a new group that we've never actually had before. It's called Renew, and I encourage you to read more about that. Uh, this is uh, kind of one of those things where you say, I'm, I feel stuck. I feel stuck in a, in a thought pattern. I feel stuck in a behavior. Uh, and I want God to renew my mind and so that I can find freedom in that. And so I would encourage you to look more at that group as well. And, and then also our men's discipleship will kick up here in a few weeks, which meets on Thursday mornings at 6.15. Uh, our women's uh, Bible study on Tuesday nights and Wednesday mornings. You can read all about that as well as our students' discipleship, um, middle school and high school, as well as our kids. And so I, 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 I want to point that to you because I'd like to have that as a backdrop to this question. How will we intentionally follow Jesus? How will we intentionally pursue discipleship this year? And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 5. And I want to look at this passage. It's one of my favorite passages. As we see this intersection of the disciples, those who want to follow Jesus, with the Lord Jesus. Uh, And what happens here in this intersection is that they cannot be the same. They cannot stay the same. They have to to change everything. And so let's look at Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And so Jesus, he gets into the boat and the kind of boat goes out and the the water turns into this sort of amplification system as he's sharing and teaching the crowd. And so while he's teaching the crowd, he is focused on something else. Look, keep going with me. Look at verse four. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, well, master, we, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, notice this. It, Peter is the fisherman. That's, that's his line of work. They just fished all night. That's the best time to fish. And they came up with nothing. And then Jesus, the rabbi, says, put it out and do it again. And, and so he uses this term, Peter uses this term of, uh, of respect. He says, okay, master, it's not really rabbi. It's not really Lord, but it's this term of respect to say, but at your word, I will do this. I will put it out. Look at verse six. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, this moment where Peter says, I'm the fisherman, you're the rabbi, I'll I'll do my thing, you do your thing, all of a sudden everything has changed. Because now he goes out and they have two full boats that are to the point where the boats are sinking. Now, it's obvious there's a crowd of bystanders here. They're here watching all of this happening. They've just heard teach, Jesus teach. But Jesus, he, he's focused on Peter. He's focused on the few. Now, why this miracle? Of all things to do, why, why this miracle? I think it's because Jesus was intersecting their life on the level of priorities, Because discipleship always engages us at the level of priorities. What do we prioritize? What do we value? What do we think is most important? And so what do I mean by that? 
These fishermen, fishing was their livelihood. It was their career. It was their place of greatest expertise. And Jesus just comes in and says, I blew everything you ever knew out. You can't go back to fishing. You can't go back to your expertise. And often we don't really know what our priorities are until they get kind of shaken. If we're honest, when we think about the priorities that we have, it's usually some definition of the good life, whatever that is for you. It's some form of success or some form of performance, or uh, maybe that's something about the future for you or for your family, or maybe it's what others think of us. Uh, In some level, it tends to fall into some capacity of comfort or security. What happens here is an intersection on the level of Simon's priority. Everything has changed. And we know that partly because of how he responds. Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. So Peter has now experienced the greatest miracle of his life up until that point in his life. And he says, depart from me. He doesn't say, oh, hey, can we go to the next place and do this again? You know, you're, you're kind of my ticket here. He says, depart from me. And he changes this term. The, the, the initial term was master out of respect, but he says, Lord. He changes this term because he knows this is from God. He has a recognition that this is completely God. This is his power. This is his might, something only he can do. And what does that do for him? The reason he says, depart from me, is because it's an immediate awareness and exposure of his unworthiness. He says, I'm a sinful man. This isn't necessarily like a, let me tell you my list of sins. He just recognizes, compared to the holiness of God, he's broken, he's sinful, he's unworthy. He does not deserve this catch. He does not deserve to even be talking to this rabbi who is clearly from God. In fact, it's interesting, almost every one of these kinds of experiences in the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, you see a very similar pattern. Anytime someone kind of comes into the the presence of the glory of God, they almost always fall on their face. They almost always recognize their own unworthiness in some level. They, They have this recognition that God, who is holy and perfect, the only response is to bow in awe of who God is. And so the very first action of the very first disciple of Jesus is to bow, is to fall down on his knees and to surrender. You see, discipleship comes in at the the level of priorities, but discipleship also requires surrender. And so Simon bows. There's nothing else to do. But it tells us that the bystanders were astonished. They were going, whoa, let's see more. Remember, Jesus is there for the disciples. And I think the bystanders, in many ways, they kind of show this, let's keep Jesus at arm length. I want to see the next thing he's going to do. I want to hear the next teaching he's going to do. I'm just kind of excited about what's new, this thing that's happening. And yet, what Jesus is there for is for those who want to follow him, 
those who want to turn and do everything that he calls them to do. The bystanders stayed at arm's length. The disciples followed. Now, we live in a, in a world, in a culture where, honestly, I think bystander is kind of normal. You know, sort of just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with kind of Jesus at a distance. Um, I'm comfortable with Christianity as a religion, so I can decide what of, what of Jesus I will adhere to. You know, I kind of will keep him at a distance. And, and in fact, I might even be comfortable with sort of having Jesus as sort of a mascot for whatever it is that I, I think I believe, some level of morality or, or, or some, you know, religious experience. But Jesus is there for the few who want to follow him, who want to be disciples. In fact, one author, um, he says it like this. He says, the most common practiced religion in America today is a generic theism, belief in God, that mingles biblical concepts with a hope that one is a good person, all while maintaining autonomy over personal decisions and lifestyle. In this religion, good people go to a better place when they die, and going to this better place doesn't depend on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, yet somehow these beliefs still get classified as Christian. I think that description is so true of our time. And that description is a bystander. I want to see what he's going to say. Let's see what's going to happen. I'll keep him at arm's length. But the invitation here and the call and Peter's response is to bow. It's to surrender. It's to lay everything down. Now, I think about Peter. He, he walked into that day. I, I often think, what did he wake up thinking about? You know, he's fished all night, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to come out, and we're going to hopefully catch some fish. Oh, well, we didn't. And, and his whole world got rocked in one day. And I think about that as we look at this fall, as we look at this upcoming season. How are we viewing it? What are we thinking? Oh, okay, well, this will happen, and this will happen, and then, you know, these kinds of things. And, uh, and yet, what if God transformed it all? What if he turned it on its head? And all of this requires for us a submitting to God, a surrender to God of our plans, of our futures, of our time, of our schedules, of our lives to him. So he comes face down, bows before Jesus, and he says, I'm unworthy. And some of us, if we're really honest, we think, oh, that moment of bowing before the God of the universe, of our own unworthiness, uh, what's that like? You know, maybe God pulls out his naughty and nice list and is like, yeah, you, you are unworthy. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about yesterday. And that's not what he does. Jesus doesn't disagree with him that he's unworthy, because he is. But notice what Jesus does some of the most profound words, verse 10, the back half of it. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not be afraid. In that moment of feeling exposed as a sinner, feeling underqualified to even talk to this Rabbi, who is the Lord, overwhelmed by what Jesus has done, by his grace and his mercy, the this is the appropriate response is to fall on your face and say, I'm unworthy. But what does Jesus do? He agrees with him, 
but he shows him profound grace and mercy. And he says, do not fear. He says, you're not going to get what you deserve. What you deserve, yes, of course, it's condemnation. But instead, Peter confesses his unworthiness and he's met with Jesus who gives him grace and acceptance and a love, a mercy and a grace that he did not deserve. See, in the gospel, when we come face to face with our own unworthiness, as we do every day, when we bring that to God, what we receive is his grace and his mercy and his love. And God confirms, yes, you're worse than you thought you were. But do not fear because you are more accepted, you're more loved than you ever hoped or dreamed because of the grace of God. You see, the gospel of Jesus dispels all fear. I I love this phrase, do not fear. It's one of the most profound passages. You see it all the time in the scriptures. The gospel dispels all fear because the gospel is that God gave his son in our place to live and to die and to be resurrected and to one day return to make all things new. And because of that, we receive forgiveness, we receive grace, and we receive his mercy. And if we believe that what he did was for you and for me, just like Emmett and Hank, we receive salvation. But notice it's not just that. He says, from now on, you will be catching men. Luke often uses these phrases like from now on in order to show that this, from this moment, as a result of what happened, everything changes. And again, I, I find it fascinating that almost every time someone kind of interacts with God in this way, they almost always bow in just humble adoration. They almost always confess some level of their unworthiness. They see that God is worthy and we are not. And then they almost always say, what do you want me to do? You see, this this call to follow Christ and this call to be on his mission, they are connected. They're collapsed. Every time you see this, you see it in Isaiah, you see it in uh, John and Revelation, you see it in Moses. I mean, there is a call that is associated with this call to follow Jesus. And this call here is to go catch men, go fishing for other people. He uses that same metaphor, but the idea here is, right, we're going to go and we're going to rescue people We're going to uh, love people. We're going to serve people. We're going to share the good news of where redemption is found. And it's found only in Jesus. It's why we planted this church here 11 years ago. It's why we're planting East Lake Fellowship in just a couple of weeks as it will launch on September 10th. Uh, Because we want to follow Jesus as ones who have been redeemed. And we want to extend the mission of God to those around us. That's the calling and the invitation and so when Jesus calls Peter, it, it's, it's a radical shift of his priorities. Everything changes. And it requires surrender to him and to his will. And so notice Peter's response here in verse 11. It says this. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed them. They left everything and followed him. The only appropriate response for them in this moment that Jesus is God is to submit, to surrender, and literally lay everything down. They lay down this career of fishing. 
They lay down the best catch they've ever had in their life, probably one that you know, people would be talking about for a long time. They lay it all down, and they follow Jesus. You see, their priority changed from fishing to following, from bystander to disciple, from astonished at a distance to, to fishing for people. This is the invitation that Jesus made for them, and it's the invitation that Jesus makes for us. As Jasmine read in the beginning, we heard, if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Inherent in that is this denial of ourselves as God with a recognition that he alone is Lord. And if he's Lord, we submit everything to him. So we deny ourselves. We take up our cross daily. That's a scary thing to do. Because what is it really about? It's really about allegiance. It's really about worship. Are we going to do what we want, whatever definition of the good life we have? Or are we going to follow him? You know, in that same passage that she read, there is something in all of us that says, you know, I... I want to save my life. I want to gain the world. Of course we do. But as followers of Jesus, our priorities change. Everything about us, like the disciples, we lay it down. We surrender. And we say, I want to follow you. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that this invitation is for us as well. This invitation is to follow Jesus. And Lord, we want to take an intentionality with that. But first, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we want to reflect first maybe on in ways in which we, we feel like we're kind of a bystander. We're keeping you at a distance. We're not willing to give up something, but we'll choose what we'll follow. Take a moment to reflect on that for a minute. And then ask the question, maybe very specifically for you, between you and the Lord, in what ways is Jesus wanting to intersect our priorities? Maybe it's something that you know you need to lay down like the disciples did. And then ask the Lord, how do you want him to lead you towards intentional discipleship this year? Lord, we long to follow you. As we sang, with every breath, we long to follow Jesus. Would you lead us to trust you, to lay it down? and to pursue you with all we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.